When you look into Discover Student Loans, what you see might surprise you. We can help cover your college costs, don't charge you fees, and give you cash rewards for good grades. Ready to apply? Visit discoverstudentloans.com. Limitations apply. G'day, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Grow Your Brand. I'm your host, Lauren Cress, the business scientist. And for those of you in Australia, I hope you enjoyed the long weekend and had a chance to relax before the real work begins. If you're not Australian, uh, then let me just quickly fill you in on what I mean by that. So what kind of goes on in our country for most of the summer is that I think it's kind of like this, oh, we'll do it next year (laughs) or we'll do it this year, like after the kids go back to school. So in early November, we have the Melbourne Cup, which basically uh, for many businesses marks the beginning of the wind down time for the year. It's really interesting, but it's sort of like this calendar milestone that once it's crossed, there's a bit of a like, okay, let's just take care of that next year kind of thing. And then that kind of semi-checked out of the office mode continues right through until the end of January, which is marked by Australia Day. So that's sort of like the bookend of the end of the summer holiday period. So Melbourne Cup on one side, Australia Day on the other side. I think it's uh, maybe it's changing over time. I'm curious to know what other Aussies listening to this uh, find, if they agree with me. Uh, But I think maybe the breaks are feeling shorter and shorter every year, but I'm not sure if that's just me or, you know, me, me getting older or how uh, our nation as a whole is taking its break um, time less seriously maybe. But anyway, the long weekend is the reason that I didn't share my show last Wednesday, which would have been exactly one week after episode six. Also, Wednesday isn't generally the best day to publish a podcast. I mean, there's... It's hard to have a hard and fast rule on that. But I kind of like the idea of publishing at the beginning of the week or the end of the week. And that seems to be when a lot of people like listening to podcasts as well. So I had the choice between, you know, kind of starting to do this regularly on Fridays or Mondays. I wanted to do it on Monday, but then I, with the long weekend, I'm now sharing this on Tuesday. All right. So anyway, enough of that. Today on the show, we're talking about the value you create, the promises you make and your elevator pitch, how to put that together. In essence, we're talking about your value proposition really, um, which simply means the value you promise to create for one of your stakeholders. Uh, In this case for today, we're talking about the value you create for your customers specifically, your most important stakeholder really. So lots to get through and looking forward to chatting with you guys about this on social media or via email, however you choose uh, to reach out to continue this conversation. And as always, the links to get in touch with me are in the show notes. I've also been asked a bunch of questions related to brand growth over the past month. And as I mentioned in the last episode, I'm going to start answering some, some of the relevant questions to the topics we're covering as we go. So in this episode, we're going to try something different. I'm going to answer two of these questions at the end of the show. So we'll still do our normal sort of segment at the beginning, um, which is usually the entire show. It's meant to go for about about 10 minutes. And then after that, uh, we'll answer these two questions. So the whole show is going to be a bit longer. 
The first question comes from Peter Cultus over in LA who asks, how do you differentiate your business from your competitors in order to stand out? Awesome question. Really looking forward to answering that one. And the second question comes from Ellen Quirk in Florida who asks, what are the best practices for segmenting your target market? Uh, These are both pretty big questions, as you can probably tell, but I'll try to answer them as succinctly as I can and and point point Ellen and Peter towards some other resources that they can use as well. Uh, So without further ado, let's dive into the main segment for the show and talk about the value you offer. So how do you create value in your business? Since I started my business a few years ago, back in 2016, I found that a lot of people, when I talk to, you know, like talk to people every week and when they're trying to understand a bit about me and kind of get a grip of the business, you know, and kind of like, okay, what, what is it that you do? Um, they often ask me the question, well, what's your business model? You know, you might have been asked that question as well. Like, I'm curious, have, have you guys been asked, like when people are trying to find out about your business, do they ask you something like, Either one, what is it you exactly do? Or two, what is your business model? To be honest, I find it a bit annoying and short-sighted. And I know what these people want to know is basically they want to know what do you do to make money? That They want the answer to that question. And I see this as a very basic business 101 question. You know, like if you've been to business school and you've learned about all the different ways that businesses can make money, then it's like, okay, which box do you fit into? It's a very concrete way of thinking, right? And look, I don't want to be too hard on people that do this. I understand this way of thinking, but it can be really limiting from the outset if we're trying to just lock ourselves into one way of making money and describing ourselves that way. The most limiting factor with this mindset is that our business becomes the center of the value we offer. So it's all about, well, what value do we offer to make money? And that's sort of just a really backwards way of thinking about it. You know, how does my business make money? Well, it's not particularly inspiring, to be honest with you. Instead, I think a much better question to ask someone when you're trying to understand their business is what problem does your business solve and who does it solve this problem for? Instead of being business-centered or money-centered, This is a truly customer-centered question, right? There's a lot of talk at the moment about customer-centric business design, but from what I've seen, businesses are really struggling with this. And I think it comes from the fact that this mindset shift hasn't happened yet. The focus is still, what does our business do to make money? And not, what problems are our customers having in this rapidly changing world? In my other podcast show, The Oyster, a while back, I was talking to author, speaker and leadership expert, Dave Clare, who illustrated this point really well with the example of Kodak. Kodak, for most of the 20th century, had a monopoly on photography and related technology. They had a number of slogans, um, but their first one was, you push the button, we do the rest. And later on, more recently, Uh, in the 90s, they kind of had this share moments, share life. You know, this idea of the Kodak moment. They pushed this whole idea of creating value for people by helping them to connect, like emotionally, right? Connect and capture these moments in a convenient and easy way. 
But they were so tied to what their business model looked like then. They were so tied to the fact that most of their money came from print and this idea that people wanted to print photos that when one of their own staff members at the age of 24, Stephen Sasson, invented the digital camera, they basically said, well, look, we could sell it, but we're not going to because it's going to cannibalise our existing products. So because money was at the centre of what they were doing right then and there and because they were focused on such a short-term gain, they basically wrote their own death warrant. It would have required some thinking about how to make money from this new technology. But if they would have put their customer first, like they're saying they do in their slogan, they would have potentially still been around today. I actually think that would be quite likely. If their customer was at the center of what they did, if they thought about what problem are we actually solving for our customer? Is the problem they're solving for them to print photos Well, no, the whole point was around capturing these moments and creating connection. So when it comes to the value you create, don't start with how will I make money out of this? Or, you know, if you're already running a business, how will I make more money out of this? Start with how will I create significant value by solving a problem for others? Think back to your ikigai that you did as part of the worksheet that came along with episode two. And have a think about how this informs the problem that you solve, how this inspires you, really. I find it really useful also to have a look at a few white papers or trend reports that relate to the market that your customers are in. So for my clients, what I what I do is I actually go and do that research, right? And I look at, okay, so let's say my client was a consultant for blue chip corporations. Then I go and have a look at the latest white papers that were coming out of the big four consulting companies that sort of tell me a little bit about what the challenges are that CEOs of blue chip organizations are facing. And maybe there are other executives as well. That insight is what drives the design. Once we have that insight on what the, the big problems are for them right now, then we kind of look at, well, what are the best methods for solving them? And what business models will support delivering these kinds of solutions? Where we want to end up is having a, a short customer first elevator pitch that ties together an identifying factor of an individual in our market the problem they need solved, and a brief overview of how we solve it. A common framework that's used for an elevator pitch, and you've probably seen people using this on Facebook and LinkedIn before, is I help blank achieve blank by providing blank. For example, for me, it is I help visionaries and change makers achieve brand growth by providing science-led coaching and consulting programs. It's a really great point to get to this because it kind of brings these two things together with the customer problem, what you do and and how you make the, the business model as well, how you make money. Because at the end of the day, the business does need to make money. It, it just shouldn't be the driving factor because it's like, well, look, that's a given. Every business needs to make money. We know that. That's, that's not inspiring. What we want to know is what's a big problem out there that needs to be solved 
And what's the best way for us to solve that? And that might change over time. What I found is by getting to this point with this elevator pitch, these sort of three blanks give me the, the three areas I need to focus on, right? So I help visionaries and change makers. Okay, that means I need to really understand who those people are, visionaries and change makers. What does that mean? What do I mean by that? What do those people look like? What does that, what is involved in this market? What's happening? And that's constantly changing, right? So I constantly need to be on top of that. The next part is I help them achieve brand growth, right? So same thing. Okay, when I'm looking at brand growth, what's involved in that? That's constantly changing as well. And then by providing science-led coaching and consulting programs. So that's the product design part. How do I put these coaching and consulting programs together to do what I just said I'm doing? So it's really amazing how you can kind of get everything down to like one sentence, but it actually gives you so much of what needs to happen on the inside of your business and what needs to happen on the outside of your business. Remember, what you offer to your market today will probably change, but the reason for making that offer is what stays the same. In this fast-paced world, this is our beacon in the dark. It's our guiding light that provides us direction as the world rapidly evolves. For me, if I promise to help my clients grow their brand, then my business needs to constantly be across the tools and technology that is changing in this space in order to best serve my customers. The business model shouldn't lock me down so much that I'm no longer able to innovate and change and adapt based on what my customers need. If Kodak's promise was to help you create a Kodak moment, then why was the digital camera not embraced? It was in the customer's best interest and it helped Kodak fulfill their promise. So just before we move on to the Q&As for today, I want you to keep that in mind as you go back and reflect on everything you've done so far, particularly have a look at your Ikigai and think about the value you create and the promise you're making. Then have a go at writing down your elevator pitch on your brand map worksheet from episode five. Okay, so now for our first ever Q&A segment, and I'm not going to put any annoying music in because I feel like every time that happens, people get annoyed. We're just going to move straight on to the next segment and to the first question from Peter Coulter over in LA who asks, how do you differentiate your business from your competitors in order to stand out? Great question, to which I have a little bit of a controversial answer to. If you want to stand out from your competitors, you don't necessarily need to differentiate yourself. What you need to do is make yourself distinct. I'm not pulling this answer out of thin air and just saying something controversial for the sake of it. It comes from empirical evidence put forward by Professor Byron Sharp, who's the author of How Brands Grow Part 1 and Part 2. I've talked about it on the show before and I talk about it all the time on social media. I'm a huge, huge fan. Uh, In his first book, so How Brands Grow Part 1, Sharp talks about differentiation versus distinctiveness. So I just want to get clear on some definitions first. So differentiation is the idea that you need to say something about your brand in order to stand out from your competitors. So... Every brand has some differentiation, right? In fact, it's pretty hard to exactly copy a brand even if you wanted to. Uh, There's circumstances and situations of the brand that will be different. And as a result, 
you will have differentiation organically. You know, for example, I know where your cafe is and I don't know where the other one is. So that's situational differentiation. But using the example from today's show when I said I helped visionaries and change makers achieve brand growth, that doesn't mean that there aren't other brands that help the same market to achieve the same outcome. And that's completely normal and fine. And usually a person who buys from me will also buy from other people who are helping in this space. What is important is to be distinct. So if you think about, I want you to just think about now in your head, close your eyes, I want you to think about Pepsi. And what pops up for you? What image pops up? What colours pop up? If you were in a store, would you be able to tell if a cola drink was Pepsi? Okay, now I want you to think about Coke, as in Coca-Cola. Same thing, right? What comes up? What colours? What imagery? What associations? All of these links, all of these things that you use to immediately identify a Pepsi bottle of cola and a Coca-Cola bottle of cola is from the brand's distinctiveness. They look different. They taste different. So that's what helps you to be remembered. And there's a lot that goes into this and we'll be focusing on this in this podcast series once we get onto Brand Pillar 2. We're still in Brand Pillar 1 at the moment. And as I've said on the show before, what makes you distinct is the cues you use to enable people to identify you in market. So the language you use, the sounds you use, the brand assets you create, your voice, the colours you use, your name, your logo, all of the things that connect existing concepts with your brand so that people can learn about you, remember you and recall you when they need your help. So to answer Peter's question, the most important thing to stand out from your competitors is to get attention from your market by talking about the things they care about. Use cues that help them to connect this helpful and memorable message that you're putting out there with your distinct and recognisable brand assets. And then consistently repeat this in market to increase the chance of people remembering who you are and how you can solve that person's problem the next time they need this solved. There's no point in saying that you're somehow unique or different if it's not relevant to what that person understands. So if you think about a gym, right, like, I'm not suddenly going to call a gym by a different name just to differentiate myself. We know what a gym is. That's the language we use. So we want to use that. But maybe how we brand ourselves is we say, well, we're a 24-hour gym. Now, there are lots of 24-hour gyms. So then you might want to also look at, well, how do I, what name am I using to associate myself with that? So for instance, Anytime Fitness, great name, right? fitness at any time. Makes sense. I connect it with a 24-hour gym. I know the brand. I know what it looks like. I already have the logo and the colors in my head. If I saw it on the street, I would know what to expect when I walked into that gym and what they could offer me. That's what's really important. So it does get a little bit complicated. I'm hoping that's enough to answer your question, Peter, for now. And please do feel free to reach out to me if you want me to clarify it further. But as I said, we will also be exploring this a lot more deeply in the episodes to come. All right, on to our last question for today's show from Ellen Quirk in Florida. 
So her question was, what are the best practices for segmenting your target market? Another great question and something we're going to be taking a deeper dive into over the coming weeks of this show. Again, when we start exploring Pillar 2 on salience and distinctiveness. And this is around the concept of category entry points. Just quickly, I always like to make sure I just cover my bases with definitions. So to be clear, when we talk about market segmentation, we're talking about ways to divide your customers into groups who share characteristics that have behavioral and attitudinal relevance. That's the really, really key part. We're looking for ways that allow us to predict behavior, understand preferences that may be different from another group, right? So it's important we don't mistake this as just dividing people up arbitrarily. Like if I said, well, we market chocolate bars to brunettes different to how we market our chocolate bars to blondes, I would kind of sound nuts because it doesn't make sense to market differently to these two groups. We kind of know that common sense wise, but it's also important we don't make assumptions as well. So even though these groups share a characteristic, this characteristic isn't really relevant to the decisions they make about buying our chocolate bar. Well, at least we're pretty sure they're not. A mistake that, you know, we actually see quite a lot like this is brands that assume they need to group millennials together. But as Mark Ritson, who's another well-known marketing expert, has shared before, trying to predict a person's attitude and behaviours based on the fact that they're in the millennial generation isn't necessarily reliable. So instead, we need to take a step back and design an investigation that is going to stop us from making assumptions based on stereotypes and biases. When it comes to best practices here, I like to use the scientific method to do this. And if you're interested in learning about this, check out my short video on business science and how to use it to grow your business. And the links are in the show notes. But to tie off the answer on the podcast here, I'll use an example just quickly to highlight the different things you want to think about. So for instance, let's say that you make an educational product for young children between the ages of three to four years old. So your main market is parents, right? But also other people who buy products for young children, like grandparents, siblings, daycare centers and other childcare service centers. What we want to explore in our market research is are there ways to meaningfully group people in our market together so we can better understand and therefore better influence their preferences, attitudes and behaviors. For instance, do mums have different buying habits to dads? If so, what are they? Ask yourself, what are all the potential reasons someone would buy this product and what are the influences on this decision-making process? So this takes us back to this idea of category entry points. And these are basically the way that we help to understand the thoughts and the situations of people who are buying where our product or service is, right? So they're about to, they've, they've transitioned into buyers. They've transitioned into, I'm going to make a purchase in this space. So we want to think about the whys, the whens, the wheres, the who withs and the what withs so that we can understand, okay, this is when, these are the cues that tell us someone is in our market and they're likely to buy from us or one of our competitors, so, for instance, the whys are things like, well, you know, are they uh, looking for a new toy for their child? They have a three or four-year-old and they're looking for an educational toy for them. It might also be that Christmas is around the corner and their grandparents are looking for something to get them. 
It could be that I'm opening up a daycare centre for kids and I'm looking to, to make sure we have lots of toys. So th- you can see that when I'm explaining those situations, let's go, oh, well, th- those are actually all quite different, aren't they? Like someone who's opening up a daycare centre or is just sort of looking at, well, how do we refresh some of the toys that are in here? They're going to be behaving in quite a different way to a young parent who maybe has a three, four-year-old and also maybe a newborn baby. So it's a really great way to start brainstorming through those category entry points. We will go through this in a main episode as well in more detail, but I hope that's been helpful for you, Ellen, to sort of start to understand, okay, this is how you can look at your market and, and get a more holistic picture of what's influencing their attitudes and behaviours. Um, if you'd like more details here and anyone obviously listening to this, um, get in touch with me. There's a lot more to cover. So please do feel free to reach out uh, via email or, you know, social, whatever. Um, I'd love to know what you guys think of the addition of this segment uh, to the end of the show. And let me know if you'd like me to continue these in future. All right, that's all from me for today's episode. If you haven't already, make sure you do subscribe so you can stay up to date with all our latest episodes. And I'll be back for another episode of Grow Your Brand next week on Monday morning. Until then, remember that sharing your talents with the world will make it a better place. At Progressive, you can get 24-7 protection, even if you break the space-time continuum. We did it. We time traveled to yesterday. Wait, Progressive covers us 24-7, but we just created an eight-day week, and it's 24-7 coverage, not 24-8. We gotta go back. Are you joking right now? Shh, I'm calling them. Hi, I have a question about time travel. Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, which literally means anytime. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and third-party insurers, and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations.